I'm recording. Oh, you are recording? Yes. Wait, tell me you're recording. You said go. Oh, okay. Well, what are we going to say for the introduction? We haven't figured it out yet. Are you hosting or am I hosting? You're hosting. Well, welcome to the Joyrific Podcast. You said it last time. Well, welcome to the Joyrific Podcast. Welcome to the Joyrific Podcast. I'm Joy Lee. And I'm Jamie Brinkley, but you're a doctor, so you should sit back. I'm Dr. Joy. No, go back to the book. Oh, scratch that one. <laughs> Hello, I am. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Joyrific Podcast. We need to say it together or something. We need to say it Okay, here we go. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you changing it now that we're saying it together? Hello, Hello. welcome to the Joyrific Podcast. I'm Dr. Joy Jameson Lee. And I'm Jamie Braithwaite. Start over. All right, this is it. Hello. Welcome to the Joy Lee Broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have it typed out so I can read it, I swear. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to the Joyrific Broadcast. This is Dr. Joy Jameson Lee and my daughter, Jamie Lee Braithwaite. And we have a great show for you today. Today, our topic is on power struggles. So, Dr. Lee, the first question, what is a power struggle and how can you identify if you're in a power struggle or if you're having a power struggle? Power struggle is when a, it's usually between an adult and a child, but it doesn't have to be. It can be between two adults, it can be between two children. But for all intents and purposes today, we're going to say it's between a child and an adult, and it's when the adult tries to get the child to do something and the child refuses. And the more that the adult tries, the more intense the child gets with the refusal so the parents say yes and the child says no and it gets louder and meaner and more people get upset so i have to tell you when i texted dr lee my mom that we were gonna have a show on power struggles the first thing she said is i don't want to do a show on power struggles and i said yes we are gonna do a show on power struggles and she put a lol (laughs) i was just telling her that's how power struggles are i don't want to do it doesn't even matter if I, you know. But I know that it's right. I know that we need to do it. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that even if it's a right thing, sometimes our children refuse to do it just because we're wanting them to do it. Don't you notice so, that? So talk a little bit about what a power struggle looks like with young children. A power struggle with young children is when they, for no apparent reason, just say no. If you say, uh, go get your shoes on, we're going to go somewhere, and then say no. Or they just, uh, oh, passive defiant. Children become passive defiant, and sometimes in a power struggle, it's a passive defiant power struggle. So you may say, go get your shoes on, we're going to go, and they just act like they don't hear you, and they just refuse to do it. Selective hearing. Yes. Or other times, they'll just say no, and you'll say, yes, go get them on, and they'll say, no, I don't want to go, and that becomes an all-out power struggle. And then it gets more towards a temper tantrum. That's right. And, and the more you say yes, the more they say no, and it just accelerates. Okay. So that's with young children. You're going to give us some solutions, but let's talk about what a power struggle with the teenager looks like, or a tween, those older tweens, teenagers. Well, teenagers and tween, tweeners, a lot of times they become, they have a little bit of an attitude that goes with it. Roll the eyes, flip the hand, walk off, slam the door. Those are all things that teenagers sometimes do when they become involved in a power struggle. And I'm just here to tell you, don't ever become involved in a power struggle. 
my mother said years and years and years ago, don't argue with me because I'm always right. And she meant that whether she was right or not because she was the authority. Well, in our day and age now, we can't, children today have to have understanding and knowledge. They, they, it's, it's no longer the case where I'm your mother, so do it. It's now a case where I have to educate you why to do it. So with that education, as part of the Joyific chart, we have the expectation and attention in the personal inventory caution sign. And, and tell us how that, that, can, can, that, that helps with the power struggle. You have to communicate. It's really important to communicate what you're, what you're talking about. So if you're asking some, a child to do something, there better be a good reason. Because if you can't back it up, then don't ask them to do it. Pick your battles. And that's a really important. You pick your battles of what you, something that has to be done. If you're going to the grocery store, you can't leave the child home because they're too little. You've got to get their shoes on them. You've got to go. So sometimes it's a matter of you pick the child up, you pick the shoes up, and you go and strap them in the car, and you go. And it works. I've done it. And my mom's told me to do that. And then when you get to the store, they get out of their seat and they buckle in two seconds. They put, I mean, they put on their shoes in two seconds. And that's, it's just, that's right. Or put them in the cart and they don't even touch the ground. That's and, right. And so sometimes it, you, you, you want to educate them. And, you know, we have to go to the store because we have no food. And that's why we're going to the store. And that takes a process and time. Sometimes when we're caught up and we don't have time to do that, we just have to have action. But... Like with a teenager, you can't pick them up and haul them to the car. So you have to take the time to communicate with them. And so, therefore, with teenagers, well, and with all kids, if you start the day before about things, you know, this is our plan this week. We're going to do this on Monday and this on Tuesday and this on Wednesday. So they have an expectation of, of what's going to happen. And that way, when you get to the event, they know that that's going to happen. It's important to you and all that background information. Now... Tell a little bit about what you did with us kids on Sunday, Sunday night with the calendars. One of the things that we did is we calendared every week. Every week we would sit down and everybody sat at the table and everybody had a calendar and everybody was important. And we wrote down about every child. And, and we had, there were 12 years differences between our youngest and our oldest. And so we had them for all different ages and they were all different stages. And we did this throughout their whole lives. And we always calendared. It was just everybody knew Sunday night. That's what we did. We, and it, we made it great time. And sometimes we'd have hot chocolate or something. Ice but, cream. Yeah, ice cream often. But we would talk about what everybody was doing. And everybody learned to calendar it. It's a great organizational skill to teach children to be able to uh, understand and know the expectations of, of what comes throughout the week. So that when they go to school, they also know they need to calendar and put down their homework and their assignments and their activities. And then we would talk about them during the week or during on Sunday night. We'd talk about what was coming up and what they had that they had to get done. And we were able to help them more. And, and we also, they learned that we functioned better as a family because we could all support one another. If someone had a great big project coming up, we all wanted to help with the project. And people would pitch in and do different things because we were all there together being a team. And likewise, if we had an event to go to, we would all plan to go and support someone at an event, a basketball game or a, a show or whatever was going on. That, that kind of leads into a couple of our questions. The first one is, how do you avoid a power struggle when your child really wants to go to a friend's party and you don't want them to go? Well, it's tough because a lot of times <clears throat> you know the situation and you know or, or you, maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know the friend's house. You don't know the parents. You don't know the children. 
or maybe you know and you're, you're not particularly excited about it. So there's lots of reasons. Um, and sometimes you just have a gut feeling. So um, it's very hard to talk a teenager out of something like that when they really, the world evolves around their peers. So what I learned from my parents was um, they would just come with me. If I really wanted to go, they'd say, okay, let's go. And they would, and I would go with them. Now to some teenagers that would devastate them and they would not go rather than to have me go with them. Well, there we, we resolved the issue or others were perfectly fine with me going. I, they were perfectly fine and I would go and uh, visit with the parents and see the kids that were there and see what was going on, help out a little bit and do whatever it was. Or uh, as in one case, I went and uh, we had a rule that you could never be at somebody's house if the parents weren't there. And when uh, we got there, a little bit behind our son that got there, and when we got there and the parents were in the house, and there were no kids around. And I said, well, where are all the kids? And they said, oh, they're out in the pool house. They had a separate house out behind their pool. So I said, oh, I'm going to go out and check on them. So I went out there. Oh, my goodness. It was scary. It was pitch black. And they were all laying around on the floor watching this horror movie that was really um, something rated that, that we didn't particularly want our children to watch. And uh, it was really interesting because as soon as I opened the door and our son saw it was me, he jumped up and came right out. And he was ready to go home. He'd only been there. I don't know, maybe 20 minutes before we got there. So a lot of times it, you can save your children too when, when you raise them with that understanding. But had he not gotten up and come out, uh, and the reason I knew that the, the story was so bad is because he told us uh, what he had seen so far, is um, to go in and be there and be there with the kids because I don't believe in leaving teenagers alone. It's not a good thing. Um, another question about teenagers. What do you do with a teenager that refuses to come home on time and stays out past curfew? You set up consequences. The, the great way to control power struggles is to set up consequences. So if you set up consequences, um, in other words, uh, if you're not home on a certain time, then you're going to lose some privileges. And I just have to tell you the story about my brother. He, he uh, was raising his three children by himself, and his daughter was finally old enough to drive. And he bought her a car about a month before she turned 16 to drive, and it was sitting in the driveway, and every day she'd go out and wash it and get it ready, and she was so excited to be able to drive. And he was excited because then she could help him running the kids around, and it was just a big thing in their family. And, and then she turned 16, and he says, okay, this is the rule. You have to be back by curfew, and if you're not home by curfew for every minute, you're past curfew, that's one day you don't drive. And she agreed. So she went out on her first night uh, with her friends and came home, and she came home 30 minutes past curfew. <laughs> and he called me and he says, this is worse on me than it was on her, I swear. But he said, you know, he, he was committed and he held true to it, and she never missed curfew again. He never had to worry about that. Wow. But he had to put off her driving for another month. And sometimes that's hard as and a that parent. that is hard. And that's another point. Don't give a consequence that you're not going to follow through with. Or don't take something away. If you say, you know, okay, well, we're all going to Disneyland next week and you can't go if you don't do it. And then you're going to let them go no matter what. Do not do that. Do not go down a road that you're not going to stay firm What's with. What's the danger in doing that? Well, they don't trust you. You lose all trust. So you lose all credibility. So whatever you say, we say, uh, we call, sometimes we call people, um, 
kind of wishy-washy, you know, they can't make up their mind and all that. Well, that comes from when you, if you say it and you don't mean it, the more you say it and don't mean it, the less anything you say takes credence. So only say what you know you're going to back up. And if you say, okay, I'll go to the party with you then, then you be sure and plan to go to the party and, or, or don't say that. You know, you've got to say things that you can live with. And if you can't live with that, don't use that. You've got to come up with a consequence that you can live with. And we're all different. Well, and I think also at the time, don't blurt it out right then. Tell us about how you think about it. Well, you, you want to have things well advanced. Expectations need to be set up. And you talk to kids when, and you train them when they're in the high. You don't train them when they're grumpy or whiny or having a tantrum in the middle of the, of the middle of the moment. So you sit down on Sunday night, you're planning out the schedule, and you find out next Friday they've got a party, and it's at a party where you don't want to go to, then you set up some, some expectations. And these are some expectations. Okay, you want to go to that party. Well, this is how you can go to that party. I'll go with you, or Dad and I'll go with you, or, you know, whomever, and uh, you'll get to stay for X amount of time, and then we'll have to leave. And that's the way you can go to the party. Otherwise, you can't go. So that's handling the situation without a power struggle. Without a power struggle, setting up expectations ahead of time, and then there's no disappointments. And then when your child goes to school and tells her friends, well, I can come, but my mom has to come, well, some of them will say, that's fine, let your mom come. Or others might say, oh, you can't have your mom come. But it, it helps them know that that is the expectation. So when they come home Friday night and they want to get in the power struggle and say, no, you can't come, I won't, okay, I won't go and you won't go either. You know, it's, it's no power struggle. Back away from the power struggle. You do not have to raise your voice. So what happens when they come home Friday night and they had not told you on Sunday about the party? So it, they kind of like spring it on you. I think that's where a lot of the power struggle comes is when it's in a time Last crunch. Minute. Okay. So it's still, you have consequences. So maybe if you've got a teenager, you need to be talking about all different kinds of scenarios. Just like we talked about in a podcast a few weeks ago about when you go to the grocery store, you talk to your child before you ever go in the store about, or in any store, we're not talking about what we're getting you. You can say, oh, I like that, but you don't go in and say, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. You know, you talk about that all before you ever go into the grocery store. Well, it's kind of with teenagers. As you're raising teenagers, you start talking now about different scenarios. I can remember when um, we first moved here and our kids were very small, and well, baby. But after a few years, when our kids started growing up, and I learned that the way kids did junior prom here is they would take a date to the strip to a big hotel um, show on, at one of the hotels and they would go to dinner at a big fancy restaurant and you know, they would spend four or five hundred dollars and so <laughs> immediately I started talking to our boys and saying wow that's like buying a half of a motorcycle you know <laughs> and, and things like that and talking about how ridiculous that was and how they had to we needed to come up with other ways to date and other things and so when my boys got up ready to go on dates, they were so creative and had ways to do it without costing a lot of money and still were a ton of fun. They did just crazy things that were lots of fun, but we didn't do the big four and $500 worth of dating. Now, coming back to the question of allowance, when is it appropriate to give a child allowance or what are your, what's your opinion on allowances? It's really interesting because there's a lot of opinions on allowance and whether it's right or wrong or how to do it. 
And what I often say to parents, does money motivate you? Most of us are motivated by money. And it's because not just because of money, but it's what money can bring you and what you can do with money. And so when and that gives power, and when children are given power, it's really it's empowering for them. And so I say um, that when it's when a child is old enough to explain or understand, the way that I used to do with my real young ones, instead of giving them actual money, is I gave them points, and we had a point system, and we would they would figure out what they wanted, and then they would earn points by doing different different chores. And so whenever they did their chores and they could earn up to maybe six or seven points a day because they had six or seven things that they had to do, and they would mark it off a big X or put a sticker on the chart. And when the chart was all full, and I had to figure out if they wanted something that was really expensive, we had to cut a picture like uh, Jimmy and Eric wanted bikes, and so they wanted new bikes. And so we found the bikes they wanted, cut pictures out and put them on the wall, had these charts on the wall with them, and then they had to work at, at getting those charts filled. And there were a lot of squares on those charts because I had to figure out how many days, it, you know, if, if they earned six or seven a day. And I thought over time, how, you know, if that was an allowance, how much time would it take? And even as little as they were, they were only three and five at the time. They worked very hard to get those bikes and they earned them. And you know, one earned his before the other one, and that was okay, but they worked hard on those uh, charts. And that's uh, the point system, and so I did that when they were young. When they got a little bit older, when they started reading, I used to pay them a penny a page, and they would read books, and they could figure out what they wanted and figure out how long it would take them because they could figure out how many pages they had to read. And we started off, um, if it was just a picture book, we just did like five cents a book. But if, if it was a chapter book, you know, that had lots of words on it, then it was a penny a page. And as they grew older, and, you know, they started costing us a lot of money, but they started wanting and earning more things, nicer things. And fortunately, when they got up there where they were really going to cost us money, they were past the part where they had to get paid. and <laughs> It worked out well. Um, the difficult thing is when you do an allowance is what do you have them buy? What do you have them spend? And so when we did do allowances, we always had them put a percentage of it towards their savings, a percentage of it towards their tithing, and then they could uh, put the rest towards something that they wanted, something that they were working towards, whatever it was that they were working towards. And we actually had them uh, keep a ledger book. And so in the ledger book, they would write down what they had done and how much they'd made and where it was going. And... Um, so they had accounts payable, <laughs> accounts receivable, and the profit loss statements in their ledger book at a very young age, and they all had their little ledger books. It was kind of fun, but we would sit down. That's another thing we would do Sunday nights is sit down to see where we were in our books, and sometimes we would do uh, once a month we would do one-on-ones where we just took individual children, and we would sit down with the individual child and talk with them separately by themselves and and help them plan and help them look where they are and where they're going and what they're going to do and help them with their goal settings. But going back and the, the blanket statement about um, Allowance. allowances is do what works for you. You've got to make it fit what you can enforce. If you can't enforce it, don't do it. If you're going to make them pay for all their school clothes and their food and stuff like I've seen some parents try and do, it gets overwhelming. And it just, it, 
you know, I don't know, where the, there's a reality check of what really is real and what kids need to learn and understand. And so as they grow, but I don't think it, I don't think it's, most kids at any age can get an allowance. I like to do the points system when they're really young, but they really like that power of having money and earning money and having it go towards something. And another thing we would do is have a big thing that it would go towards, like if we were going to go to Disneyland or Lake Powell or something really big. And so they could decide if they wanted to put any of their extra money into that kitty. And sometimes that's what they wanted to do more than anything they wanted for themselves is they wanted our family to go do something like that. And sometimes it was just a camping trip. Find what works for you. Today I heard something very interesting that it takes five years to teach something, a chore or a activity to a child. So if you want them to be able to balance their checkbook at 18, you need to start five years previous at 13. Or how to use a credit card or how to use a debit card and things like that. I think the same thing can go and apply to small children. Okay, now let's bring it back down to the young children because that's what I have and that's what I like to learn about is how do you get a child to clean up his or her room or do the expected chores that need to do if they don't want to do it? Again, we set up the expectations. Everybody has things that they have to do in our house and if there's not, uh, if it's not done, then there's a consequence. You have to figure out what works for you and we're all different and we all have different things that we can live with in different amounts. Just like with mom and dad, I can cross the line. I can go up to the line with dad here, but mom will extend the line out to further. You know, it's just different. We're all different. And so we have to come up with what we can live with. So if a child um, is not cleaning up their room and that's part of their chore in the house, then you talk about the big picture. And this is our house. And I always had chore charts and ways for them to earn things. And so if they turned over all their chore chart, starting when they were very young with brushing their teeth and making their bed and getting dressed and simple things that they could do easily. And when they got them all turned over, then they got to pick from the jar of different kinds of activities. And I would make sure that on the jar, it was activities that day of things that I could do. Sometimes we'd have big fun things like going to the museum, but some days I couldn't go to the museum. So it was, We'd take a walk around the block, or we'd ride our bikes, or we would go to the park, or we would read time in the, uh, on the floor altogether, or, or, you know, times to other things that they can do independently. They didn't always have to be with me. Sometimes they would prefer independent things, and sometimes they would prefer with me. But that way, you have it set up so there's a consequence and a reward that they get. Now, if they don't get their chores done, and it's time, then they can't. For example... My mother used to, um, my sister had really long hair when she was young. And when she was about four or five years old, she had a really good friend that lived just a few houses down from him. And she always wanted to go play with her every day. Well, my mother, and she hated having her hair combed. And so my mother says, okay, well, if you won't let me comb your hair, then you can't go off of our property. You have to stay right here on our property. But when you want to go down there, you just come tell me and I'll comb your hair and you can go down there. And so it didn't take her very long to realize that she'd get up and say, okay, let's comb my hair, because she would want to go and run down to the neighbors and play and so and get her friend or whatever. And so it, you have to set up something that will work for you and work for that child. 
Okay, what about something like when a child, what do you do with a child that doesn't want to go to school? Children that don't want to go to school. Well, there's lots of reasons why kids don't want to go to school. And so you need to figure out what is the reasoning behind not wanting going to school. If a child's being bullied at school or has issues at school that they're afraid and they can't verbalize it, but they might have symptoms like throwing up or being nervous at home, it can come out that it's actually a bully or someone treating them mean at school in a way that they just don't want to go there. Sometimes it's with a teacher. Um, sometimes the teacher, I had one student that told me um, the teacher yells all the time, and I said, did the teacher yell to you? And he says, no, he, she, she, she yells at this other little boy. And come to find out, this boy who didn't want to go to school was affected because the teacher was yelling at another student. There's lots of reasons why kids don't want to go to school. So you have to figure out and work with the school on those kinds of issues. If it's an issue of they'd rather stay home with mom, because sometimes kids have that separation syndrome and it makes it very difficult, then you have to set up some consequences and some rewards so it's, it's more fun and more exciting and more pleasurable to be in school learning. And if you can get through the first short period of time that is that transition time and help them to enjoy school and like it and know that that's, and be consistent, don't let them stay home. You've gotta be consistent and you gotta get them there. And, and if you consistently know and you continue to do, eventually it's going to turn over to where they're, um, they're, they're more positive about going. One of the things that's uh, kind of on the opposite of this, the flip side of this, is uh, kids who want to stay home sick. And so <clears throat> I went, this first happened with our older kids, and I caught on to it real fast that they wanted to stay home, and they weren't really sick, but they just were trying to fake that they were sick. And if I knew that they weren't sick and they really were faking it and just said, oh, they can't go to school. So what I said to them is I said, okay, you stay home today, but these are the things we're going to accomplish today. And I put them to work, and they had to work so hard cleaning our house and doing chores around the house. And I said, this is what happens when you stay home. This is how I do it every day. And if you're staying home, this is what we're doing. Okay, when I talked about power struggles, there's power struggles with adults or spouses or coworkers or family or in-laws. What do you do with that? Well, <clears throat> you avoid power struggles. It does. Nobody wins. A power struggle is like a win-win type of a scenario. And so if, you, if you're trying to win something, that's a power struggle. You don't, it's not about winning. And so you back away from uh, a power struggle when it's, it's, you know, I get my way or I lose. You have to pick your battles, of course. You know, you've got to figure out what is the most important thing here. And sometimes it's important, and so you've got to go to work, and you've got to figure out a way to resolve it. Sometimes it takes a peer mediator to help us. And, and, but uh, a better solution is to problem solve. Problem solve with the child or the adult. And say, hey, this isn't working. We're not getting along here. And this is how I feel, and you feel this way. And so what can we do to meet in the middle, or how can we resolve it? And if you problem solve with them, with them even with children, that's one of the best ways. Having children help you set up the consequences is one of the best ways to do. And, you know, always always provide a warning, you know, uh, with the children especially, um, you know, a warning, a caution sign, uh, remember what the consequences are before you have to implement them. But you never have to raise your voice. If you have to raise your voice, you're in a power struggle. You don't need to raise your voice. It's all consequences. It's all about being kind. Just do the right thing, being kind, and resolving it together. And uh, 
if you go to the chart, you can say being kind, being helpful. That's all being patient. That's all about what it takes. And um, you, can, you can avoid power struggles. Thank you for the show this week. We had a fantastic So if you have any questions, submit them to Dr. Lee or I, and we will add it to the podcast for next week. Life is not about avoiding the storm. Life is about learning to dance in the rain. 